this is, I mean, we read this every Sunday. We preach on this text every, um, every Sunday before Ash Wednesday, which is when? Wednesday. Not to be confused with? Okay, okay. Um, and it's just kind of a bizarre text. I mean, you've got, you've got people who left the earth over a thousand years ago appearing. You've got voices. You've got clouds. Uh, it's, you got Jesus appearing whiter than any earthly bleach could make his clothes. You know, where is that bleach? Where is transfiguration bleach? Where do they sell that? Um, you know, it's just a bizarre text. I think it ha can be understood by how it begins. It says, six days later. Six days later than what? Well, six days before the transfiguration of Christ, there was the conversation. This was the conversation between Jesus and the disciples, where Jesus uh, began by saying, who do people say that, that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses or one of the prophets or John the Baptist. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And uh, you know, Peter responds, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes into, and I'm going up to Jerusalem where I will suffer, be betrayed, and be killed by the religious leaders, and on the third day rise. And any who follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who seek to save their lives will lose them. And those who lose their lives for my sake in the gospel will save their lives. It's kind of wet blanket stuff. It's kind of a downer. It's gloomy. We don't like talk of suffering. We don't like talk of betrayal or being killed. We don't like talk about denying and taking up a cross. My guess is is that the disciples never heard what Jesus said after and. They never heard him say, and rise again. They never heard him say, and save their lives. I think it's pretty common for many of us to get so focused on what the negative part of the story is that we never hear the ending. Kids, you have to clean your rooms and you can't watch any TV. And then we'll go to Disney World. What do you mean I have to clean my room and can't watch TV? They never hear Disney World. How often do we just hear the negative and don't give the person the chance to say it and we certainly don't hear it? How it ends. What the result is. It's not a popular text. And my guess is, is that the disciples were having second thoughts when they heard this stuff about 
denying and taking up the cross and Jesus being killed. My guess is they had second thoughts, they had doubts. You know, are we backing the right horse? Is this the guy we really want to follow? I mean, it's been fun up till now. We've liked it that he's done these miracles. We liked it that he's uh, kind of stood up to the, to the religious leaders. We like that stuff. But right now, it doesn't sound so good. Maybe we should look for a church. Maybe we should get another minister. You know, I hear they're, they're doing better at that other synagogue down the street. You know, and i got to think Jesus was having second thoughts and he was having doubts. Did I really sign up for this when I was baptized? Did I really sign up for suffering? Did I really sign up for betrayal and being killed by the religious leader? Maybe I'm on the wrong path. So Jesus does what I think leaders do. You know, he calls aside his inner circle. Peter, James, and John. And he, he says, let's go away. Let's go on a retreat. Let's go somewhere where there's no distraction. Don't take your cell phones. Don't take your laptops. Don't take anything to read. We're going to have a serious conversation, me and the inner circle. You know, presidents have their inner circle for advice. Bishops do. Ministers do. I think we all do. You know, when we're faced with a hard decision, there are certain people we will turn to for their wisdom, for their insight. And Jesus turns to Peter, James, and John, and he goes up on a high mountain to be away, and he prays. Ultimately, he's turning to God for advice. He includes God in his inner circle. And Moses and Elijah appear. Well, that's kind of neat. You know, they're, they're the Mount Rushmore of famous prophets and lawgivers. Moses and Elijah are giving their seal of approval to Jesus and telling Jesus what it's like to follow God, what it's like to suffer, how one feels, what one does. It's great reinforcement and support for Jesus if he's having doubts. And Peter says, boy, it's great that we're up here. Let's stay up here. Let's build three, three huts and let's just stay up here. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to the to the suffering and the denial and the carrying the cross and that wet blanket religious stuff. I like staying up here where it's cool and there's nobody interfering and bothering us and telling us not, not to do certain things. I like it up here. You know, it's like, let's prolong the vacation. Let's not go back to Columbus. Let's stay in Florida. Yeah. And it says, Peter was terrified. Of course he was terrified. You know, these long dead people appearing. <laughs> you know, Jesus appearing in this sparkling white outfit. The cloud coming over them, which is the presence of God. That's scary. I'm not in control of my life. I don't know what's going to happen. This isn't predictable. 
But Jesus gets his confirmation. He gets the approval. Then the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved. This is my son. The beloved. Listen to him. You know, it's almost like a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. It's so direct. This is my son, period. Stop. This isn't just anybody. This is my son. The beloved. He's special. I approve. He's on the right path. Listen to him. If you have second thoughts, don't. Pay attention to what he's teaching you. Listen to what he says about loving your enemy. Listen to what he says about going the second mile. Listen to what he says about forgiveness. He's on the right path. And then Mark says, And when the disciples looked up, they saw no one, only Jesus, there was nothing else to look at. No Elijah, no Moses. It was just Jesus. And I think that's Mark's way of saying, don't just listen to him. Follow him. He's the one. He's the only one to follow. He's the one that will bring life. You know, there's that old song, I only have eyes for you. You know, and what that song's about is, it's that the one I only have eyes for becomes my priority. It shapes my priority. It shapes my life and my values and what I do and how I plan and how I see my life. You know, lovers say that. And I think that's what Mark's saying here. They only had eyes for Jesus. He was the one they were going to follow. Jesus says, now don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. I think one reason why he said that is, you know, when we have something really big happen to us that's really transforming, we kind of babble when we talk about it. And we're kind of incoherent. We don't make sense. Um, the first same-gender marriage I did, I felt really energized by it. I felt free. I felt full of life. And a couple of days after that, I was telling Bill Brownson about it. And I went on and on and on about my feelings. And Bill said, you know, I think before you start telling other people about this, you might want to process this so you make more sense. <laughs> and I think sometimes we have to process stuff to make more sense. It doesn't deny the experience. We just have to know how to talk about it. The other thing that Jesus says when he says don't, don't tell anybody about it is he doesn't say 
don't talk about it amongst yourselves. And I got to think when, when they came down from the mountain that Peter, James, and John said, whoa, what just happened? What does that mean that his clothes were dazzling white? What does that voice mean? What does it mean that Elijah, and, what does that, you know, and well, here's what I think it means. If you were one of the disciples coming down from the mountain and you would experience this, what would you talk about? What would you talk about with the others that had experienced it? I would talk about the vision of Christ in the dazzling white clothes. I would talk about the radiance and the glory that I had just seen. Maybe because I like to do laundry and I'm struck by a bleach that can make anything really white. I would be struck by that for what I think the transfiguration means is that the power of life within Jesus is so strong that it breaks out that his skin can't hold it, that this energy and this spirit and this glory of God within Jesus is so strong, it breaks through the pores of his skin and shines through the clothing. We experience people who shine. I have a minister friend who talks about shiny Christians and what she means by that is they're radiant the spirit just comes out of them one of the little girls that I tutor at Hubbard school when she really struggles and puzzles over a word and you know she'll slowly put the word together and then she'll get it and she knows she's gotten it and she'll look up at me and she'll just shine and she'll say, the words tumble, isn't it? And I'll say, yeah, Brittany, it is. And she'll go, yeah. And she just beams. And I find myself beaming too because the power of life coming out of Brittany is contagious. It's infectious. We've experienced people like that the glowing father, the radiant bride, the beaming grandparent, where life just bursts out of them. I was interested at, after, uh, at the end of Morning Blend when the people who joined the church were standing up there and were being greeted uh, by the, the people who were at Morning Blend and welcomed into the church. Tim and Alan and Andrew just beamed. We experience that in people. We experience that energy of life coming through them where they're fully alive. One writer has said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And that's what they're experiencing here in Jesus is the glory of God 
in a human being who's fully alive. Fully loving. Fully trusting. Fully forgiving. Fully generous. You know, what they're seeing here is how it ends. It ends with Jesus being fully alive. What they're experiencing here is that, and on the third day, rise. They're experiencing a foretaste of the resurrection. This is how it ends, being fully alive. Jesus doesn't say, carry your cross and deny yourself just for kicks. What he's saying is, it's going to end by our being fully alive, where the energy of life breaks through us. And so get rid of that clutter that deadens us and lessens us. Get rid of that. Die to it. So God's Spirit can enter your life and you too can be the glory of God. Lent starts Wednesday. But it begins with this vision of how it's going to end. With the new life of the resurrection. And so Lent is bracketed by the transfiguration and the resurrection. And the message is, this is what it's about. It's about new life. Don't talk about it, but think about it and ponder it and wonder where the denial does come in and where the carrying of the cross does come in and where we want to be fully alive. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the glory of God will shine in the face of Christ. And the light that was there when God said, let there be light, the light at the beginning of creation will shine in our hearts. That's a big light. And transfigure us so that we too will shine. That's the end of the story. That's the point of the journey, that we will be radiant and beaming and infectious and give that light to others. May it be so. Amen.